Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. you to notice uh, the response. We typically stop at verse 68 when Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. But I want you to look at something. He goes on and underscores a few things that I want us to recognize tonight. And we believe and are sure, are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of of the living God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And just to set up this uh, text and what we're going to read here, this is after the crucifixion of the Lord. Jesus, of course, spent three days in the tomb. And once he was placed in the tomb, there were certain of the people that were concerned about him uh, of course, he had said that he would uh, be resurrected on the third day, and they knew this, and they were concerned that someone would come and steal the body of Jesus. And so this was the decree that Pilate made. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure, everybody say sure, as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now I understand that this particular text, I'm not using this literally. I want you to understand that I'm not using this particular text even really as a part of what we're going to preach about here tonight. But obviously they had the body of Jesus in their possession and they were concerned about keeping him. And the statement, and this is the statement that I want to use as a title tonight. The statement was made, make it as sure as, and the word there is, you, is ye, but I'm going to use you. Make it as sure as you can. And that's what I want to speak on tonight. Make it as sure as you can. Let's lift up our hands and pray for the anointing of the Lord to be upon this service. Jesus, we need you. We need your anointing. We need your spirit to move in our midst. We need, God, your help. We need your word, God, to speak to the needs that are here in this congregation. We thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost that we often feel when we gather together as your people. And I pray, God, that it would be the same tonight. In Jesus' name we pray these things. And the church said amen. Why don't you clap your hands to him one more time. Praise God. Thank you for standing. How sure are you? Well, that's, that's a question when it comes to spiritual things that we've got to ask from time to time. And it doesn't really matter how long you can boast of having the Holy Ghost. This is a question that you need to use to take personal inventory with. 
and say, how sure am I? Because the Bible says for me to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. So this rhetorical question is often asked when we feel a person has given an answer in haste or in an emotional moment. It's uh, how really sure are you? Is a question that we ask when a decision is being made of real consequence. You know, it really doesn't matter if it doesn't have any consequence attached to it, but I can't think of anything that is any more consequential than you and I's soul salvation. I can't think of anything that is any more pertinent to you and I, especially in the times that we live in, than this question is how sure am I about my soul's salvation and so we ask this question are you sure have you considered everything that is at stake are you certain and when it comes to again this topic that we're addressing tonight uh, it should be approached with sobriety it should be uh, as the bible said with all carefulness considered Something that we need to, to really think about. Second Peter chapter number 1 and verse 10 said, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Give diligence. In other words, you need to spend some time considering this. This shouldn't be something that is, that is thought of with passivity. This shouldn't be something that is just... Uh, a fleeting thought, but you need to take diligence and make your calling and election sure. When you make your calling and election sure, it's taking responsibility to be involved with that decision. Don't leave that for chance. Don't leave that up to somebody else, but you take personal responsibility. And this seems simple enough, but how many times... How many times have we watched on the sidelines and we have seen uh, people fail, people fall away, drift away, if you will, or walk away from God and backslide because they did not heed these simple instructions that I'm telling you tonight. They never made their calling and their election sure. To be sure is to be intentional. It's not to leave anything up for guess. It's not to leave anything for chance. It's refusing to be haphazard or casual. Uh, it's refusing to be reckless about a thing or indifferent about it. We cannot afford to be indifferent because if I understand it correctly, uh, when it comes to your soul's salvation, when it comes to living for God in the last days. There is going to be a shaking. The Bible tells us that unequivocally. It tells us that emphatically, that there's going to be a shaking. And those things that are sure, if I can put it that way, are the things, according to the Word of God, that are going to remain. So to have a cavalier attitude about it, to have a... A whatever attitude about it. Matter of fact, I just want to say this. Whatever is not in the Bible. That is not a statement that is used in the Word of God. 
It's not in the Scripture, the Word, the term, whatever. Because uh, uh, when it comes to eternal things, there's, that's just one thing that you don't want to have a whatever attitude about. It's not just given for chance. It's not just for us to uh, just say, well, I'll, I hope the best. But I don't believe that we just have to hope for the best. I believe we can be sure about some things. Can you say praise the Lord? And so before you become too judgmental and jump to conclusions thinking that this is only referring to those that really don't know God like you do or don't have a deep revelation of who He is or haven't been exposed to His power, have the testimony that you have or hasn't, had the advantages that you have had in living for God. Maybe you should remember the man that in chapter 6, Jesus is referring to in chapter 6 of John that I read to you. He is referring to, maybe you should consider this example here of Judas. Judas, we could say that he had advantages that very few people had to live for the Lord. To be used of God, to serve God, to feel things, experience things, be an eyewitness to things. Amen. To have the opportunity availed to him that very few other people had. That's right. I cannot think of an individual in the Bible any more advantages was given to to live for the Lord Jesus Christ than Judas. And at the same time, I cannot think of anybody that has a more tragic story than Judas. You know, sometimes when we think of tragedies in the Scripture, we think of people like Saul who had, again, felt the anointing, been chosen by God, had an opportunity uh, to really emerge as a great king and a man that was used of the Lord to, to lead God's people. He, there was so much that, that could have been. We could have had an entirely different account when you consider Saul. Yet, uh, he, he refused and made choices and decisions that led him down a track uh, that led to his destruction. And how sad it is that this same man that had put witches out of the land and put them to death finds himself down on his hands and knees at the witch of Endor's house begging that she would call up the man of God, the prophet that he refused to listen to when it counted when he had the opportunity to hear his voice, he didn't obey it. And yet now he would like to hear another sermon. He would like to get some direction from God. He would like to go back and rewind and retrace those steps and have another opportunity. And the opportunity doesn't really afford itself because the Scripture says that Saul said, Why have you disquieted me? Why are you bothering me? In other words. And... I, I can only think of one man's story that is worse than that, and that would be Judas, because this is not an Old Testament story. This is a man that has lived in the New Testament. He's seen the physical manifestation of God Almighty. He is there and has lived with the Lord for the space of three and a half years. He has saw so much and experienced so much. Let's just recount a few things. He experienced the ministry of Jesus Christ, and the miracles which Jesus did in that space of time. Now, we don't know exactly how many miracles that transpired in Jesus' ministry. Matter of fact, the Bible said if everything was given to us, that 
and it had been written down and recorded that the world itself could not contain the literature uh, or at least the paper that it would have to be written on. It, we couldn't store it. We just have a thumbnail sketch of, of some great miracles that took place. And it's there to inspire us and to help us as an example of what the Lord can do if we have faith in Him. And I'm thankful we have what we have. But as far as I can tell and what theologians say is that Judas was an eyewitness to 120 plus miracles. We could say plus because, again, we don't know that they're all recorded. But we know for sure 120 miracles that he was able to experience and to see with his own eyes. He was, we don't know for certain, but we can assume that he was there when, when dead people was raised. Maybe, we know he wasn't in the house, but maybe he was standing on the outside of the house when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. We, we could assume that he was there when that funeral briar came down the road and the widow of Nain was weeping and Jesus went over and raised her son to life. We can assume that he was in that party that was around Jesus and saw that boy that had been dead and now was in a funeral procession, if you want to say it that way, and is going to be buried. And this man, life comes back into his body. His cheeks blush again. Breath comes back into his lungs. And he stands up, and I believe he began to worship the Lord and give praise and thanks. Wouldn't you give thanks unto the Lord for what the Lord had done for him? Judas saw those things. We can assume that he was there at the feeding of the 5,000. We can assume that he was there when Jesus stopped off the side of the road and began to give his attention to a man by the name of Bartimaeus that was blind. And when the man cried out, he healed him and he received his sight. We can assume that he saw, and these are just a few. Can you imagine seeing all those things? And it was cram-packed into about three and a half years that he was able to witness all of these things. Nobody had experienced anything quite like that other than just the other 11 disciples that were also following the Lord. And then consider not only the miracles, that should be enough, but consider the teaching that he was exposed to and that he heard. He was there, we can assume, at the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most beautiful sermons and most read and rehearsed and taught from so many great life principles. The Beatitudes are there and we go on and on about all of the illustrated things that was in. He heard the parables. He, he, he heard the Lord teach and, and break things down into real life application. He was there and he was in earshot of the Lord's own voice. And he heard these things. You know, we read these stories and we're inspired beyond belief by these stories, by reading them from the Word of God. But can you imagine being there in the audience and hearing them from, for the very first time from the Lord, the impact that it could have made? Matter of fact, you and I don't have the advantage that Judas had. We, we don't have the experience that Judas had. 
as far as with the miracles, as far as, uh, you know, seeing the Lord himself put his hand on that person, raise them up. We've seen miracles. We've seen, but we weren't there and exposed to the Lord's ministry in the flesh is what I'm saying. And we didn't hear his actual voice teaching these things. What a, what an astounding thing. He had an advantage of witnessing the Lord's forgiveness. I want you to consider this. Because in John chapter 8, when they brought that woman that was caught in the act of adultery, and they brought her to Jesus and roughly threw her down at his feet and demanded that the law be carried out in her behalf and that she be stoned as the law had commanded. And everybody is waiting with bated breath as to what Jesus is going to do. What's going to be his ruling on this? And this woman, what is he going to do? And Judas was there to witness the Lord say, after he had rode in the dirt and said, whoever, whoever, is without sin cast the first stone. After he had done these things, he turns and people are walking away, beginning with the eldest going down to the youngest. They walk away. He hears the thud of the stones on the ground as they're dropping their stones that they were ready to use in assaulting this lady. And Jesus turns and looks up at her. She has tears coursing down her cheeks, and he says, woman, where is thy accusers? She looks around and said, they're not here. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way and sin no more. He saw forgiveness. He saw forgiveness at a level. He must have known by what he had witnessed in seeing the Lord forgive this woman and others that he saw the Lord forgive. He must have known that if I, even when he was involved in plotting out his plan and, and the betrayal of the Lord and in the sin that he was involved in and all the covetousness that was in his heart, he must have known by what he had witnessed there in John chapter 8 that if he would have just prayed and repented that the Lord was loving enough and caring enough and forgiving enough to cleanse him of his sin and forgive him of his unrighteousness and give him a new start. Matter of fact, I, I want to I use something here to illustrate this. It seems like all the way up to the end, my brother, all the way up to the end, sister, he is trying his best to reach for Judas. At that last supper, I mean, he's already bearing the silver on his body. He's already got the bag hid away with the silver that he has gotten from that Sanhedrin. He's got it. The betrayal money. He's got it. He's already made his decision of what he's going to do, but he hadn't followed through just yet. It's just a few hours from that point in time. And the Lord makes the remark that one of you will betray me this night. And it's perceptive. You've got to know that these fellas, they've been around this guy, Judas, all of this time. They, they, have, to, they have to have more perception than this than to, to not know that it was him. But I believe it's the Lord 
giving room and giving space and 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 dealing with Judas and giving him opportunity that it was not revealed to them that Judas had this already in his heart because they asked the question, is it I? They didn't know it was Judas. Is it I? And there was others that defended themselves and said, I, I, though all men portray thee, Lord, I, I will not portray thee. And so it's hidden from them. Why was it hidden from them? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord's still reaching for this man. The Lord's still trying to deal with this man. He didn't just bring it out in the open and expose it. To, he's trying to help him until the deed is done. He's trying to reach him and trying to save him and trying to give him an opportunity. that you, Because there was plenty of people that could have betrayed the Lord. There's plenty of people that could have been accused and guilty of this thing. There was plenty of people that were willing in that day to do such a thing. And so he's given an opportunity to Judas. Come on, man. Until finally he takes the towel, the Bible says, and pours a basin of water, and he gets down as a servant and begins to wash their feet. In other words, he's getting down on their level. He's trying his best to appeal to them. He's trying to get in their heart. Amen. How many times has the Lord, amen, moved on us and in an intimate way dealt with our heart and tried. Can you imagine how dirty Judas had to feel when he saw the Lord on his knees before him with a basin like a servant and a towel? That's the Lord trying. Come on, man, let's turn this around. Let's, let's, you don't have to go through with this. And finally, he makes the statement. He said, whatsoever thou doest, do quickly. Do quickly. What was he saying? He was trying to bring him to a decision. He was trying to bring him to a place. If you're going to go out and do that, go do it. If you're going to come serve me, come on. Amen. I'm giving you a choice. And, and that's what the Lord does at, at certain points in our lives. We have to make a choice. And we have to make a decision. I'm going to tell you the point is tonight is the Lord gave him up every opportunity to turn it around. God gave him every opportunity to make it right. Every opportunity to obtain forgiveness. Every opportunity to pray and to repent and get things right before God. And God still does that for people today and even in our text listen to me now even in our text we see what the word of God is saying here as the Lord is telling them except you drink my blood and eat of my flesh you'll have no part in me and the Bible said in verse 66 that there were many at that very point there were many that walked away and followed him no more hey Judas if you're looking for an easy way out, this is an easy way out. Everybody, it seems like there's not just a, it's not just a small group. It's not just one or two, but there's many. If you just want to ease out with the crowd, this is your opportunity. If you just want to ease out with everybody else, if you just want to go with the flow, this is your chance. Amen. 
for whatever reason, there was something that kept, I believe it was because the Lord kept dealing with him. And it was hard for him to put that aside. It was hard for him to lay that down. It was hard for him uh, to ignore uh, the many times that God would deal with him. The Lord would deal with him and move upon him. It was hard for him to escape that. And even though there were those that were that were leaving and that were walking away, I'm telling you, there was a there was something that was still going out to Judas. Come on, man. You can make it right. You can serve the Lord. You you can turn it around. But you understand there's one thing that Judas did not do. Even with all of these advantages, even though he had opportunities like this, even though he had the Lord reaching for him like this, even though he had a great support group with all these other disciples around him that were rooting for one another, even though he had unlimited access to the Lord physically in his physical manifestation, he didn't make his calling and election sure. He never got sure in his faith like he needed. He never got settled in his faith. And I see it. I see it in people in our day. You can have the most godly parents, but that doesn't save you. You can have the most powerful opportunities. You can be in a wonderful church. You can hear tremendous teaching and preaching. You can have a wonderful support system. Other saints of God all around you praying for you, cheering. There's not one person in this place that wishes ill on anyone. I don't believe that. We're all here rooting for one another. That's the beautiful thing about Landmark Pentecostal Church is we're rooting for one another. We're in this together. We're pulling for people. We're pulling for you. Doesn't matter how far off you come from. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter how far in sin that you had gone when you were out there in sin. We're pulling for you. Doesn't matter what scars you possess when you get here. We're pulling for you. It doesn't matter how bad you've been hurt and crushed in life. We're pulling for you. We want you to be saved. We want you to have the advantages that 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 creates the opportunities. Matter of fact, every time I come to church, I I pray God. I want you to make it advantageous for somebody to get the Holy Ghost. I I want you to give opportunity for somebody to find salvation today. I want you to I want you to quicken somebody's heart. I want you to use me as a tool in your hand to try to preach to somebody and try to reach to somebody. Hey, we're not against you. We're for you. We're cheering for you. We want you to be saved. We make investment. We we advertise. We do everything we do around here. Why? Because we want to give people every possible advantage. But the bottom line is we can't consecrate for anybody. I can't repent for anyone. If I could, I'd dismiss church right now and for the rest of the evening until I had went through everybody that I knew ever attended this church. I would, I would pray and I would seek God that they would be saved if I could stand in their stead and do it for them. But it's not possible. I can't get consecrated for anyone. I can't make sacrifices and live for God for anyone. But you have to be sure for yourself. And Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 23 speaks about a nail in a sure place. Amen. And you know what? All of us 
All of us are driving. All of us have drive and ambition for something. And we're all driving ourselves deep into something. It's not something that you just opt out of and back away from. Say, well, I'm just indifferent about it all and neutral. No. The thing that the story of Elijah standing on Mount Carmel teaches us is that it's impossible to halt between opinions. It's impossible to stay in that position very long because they answered him. When he made the decree, they answered him not a word, the Bible says. But in their silence, they were really making a choice. And that's the way it is with people. Amen. So it's my responsibility to drive that nail that I have, my life, into the right things. Anchor it into the right things. Any of you that have fished on a boat, you know that if you're in a current and you want to stay in the same area in the same fishing grounds, of course you're going to have to use an anchor. But you can get in a current that is so strong that if you just throw that anchor out into a sandy bottom, it's not going to hold. Your boat is going to be maybe slowed down, but it's still going to travel with the current. It has to catch on a rock or something that's stable, something that's sure, in order for it to stay in that position and in that place. When the prophet was using this particular illustration about a nail in a sure place, the picture that comes to my mind is in this building we have these beautiful sheetrock walls. Now I know behind this sheetrock is metal uh, framing, and so it's not nails that was used. It was screws that were used. But nevertheless, if you had a wood frame behind this sheetrock, you can, that sheetrock is a lot heavier. Those of you that's hung it, you know how heavy it is. And it's a lot heavier than it may appear to you. And if you place it up there and you don't make sure that you're driving nails where there's wood framing behind it, I don't care how many nails you put in that sheetrock, it's not going to stay on the wall. In fact, it could be very dangerous for you when you turn it loose. I knew a fellow that hung sheetrock, and a lot of times he was left to do certain parts of it by himself, and, and uh, he was in a small restroom, and he had a piece of sheetrock that he'd cut out for the ceiling, and it, in that area where he had, there was a, a small cutout for a, an electrical receptacle. And so he was going to hold the sheetrock up with his head while he fished around in his nail pouch for some nails, and then he was going to use that to nail that up. And when he did, he didn't realize that when he put his head up, he was putting it right there where that receptacle was. And he let go of it and pushed his head up, and he had a sheetrock necklace. This fell all around down his neck, and, and there was nobody there to help him. And so he said he had to get that hammer and beat his way out of that sheetrock. Well, I'm telling you, you've got to nail things in the right place. You've got to drive the, the nail that is in your hand when it comes to your soul. You've got to drive it not into the sheetrock of this world. 
and not into the paneling of this world, but you better drive it into the framing of God's Word. You better drive it into something that's sure. Would you stand with me right now? You better drive it into something that is solid, something that's going to hold. Amen. A lot of things in this life, uh, they may seem so stable. They may seem so right. The conditions may seem like you could get by with this. Just like the man that built his house on the sand and the other built his house on the rock. There was no real significant difference until the storm came. There was nothing that was revealed until the storm came. Well, I want to just tell you folks, in case you haven't, I, I don't know how you could have got around it, but in case you hadn't got the memo, we're in a storm in this world. Amen. And it's revealing things. It's sadly revealing things about people. It's revealing things in the minds and the hearts of people. It's revealing how, many, how much people really love God. How many, how, how much, how much... The storms of life. It's revealing what is there uh, down deep in their spirit. There's things being revealed like unforgiving spirits that have been down there for a long time and it's coming up. And, and they have this opportunity for release of anger all of a sudden. And it was pushed down there and it seemed like that it wasn't even there at all. But suddenly you're seeing it revealed. Hey, we're in a storm. It's going to reveal some things. I hope in me it reveals faith. I hope in me it reveals how much I love God and how much I want to serve Him. Would you lift up your voice with me and let's pray together right where we are. Let's pray together. Let's, let's spend a, a few moments here just praying right where we are. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I love you, God. I want to praise you. I want to worship you, Lord. I truly want to exalt your name. I love you so much, Jesus. I want to be saved. That's why I've been in this thing for 40 years, is I want to be saved. I want to be right. I didn't get this far in the race to quit. Oh, I want to be nailed in a sure place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's give him praise right now. Let's love him together. Oh, I praise you and I worship you and I thank you. I truly exalt you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Let that song fall in love with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Let's sing this little chorus before we leave. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Oh, falling in love. Oh, somebody sing it from your heart. Falling in love with Jesus. Oh, sing it from your heart. Let's lift up our voice and sing it. Falling in love with Jesus. Anybody love him? Falling in love. Jesus, oh, falling in love with Jesus, the best thing. 
disconnected. Oh, in his arms. Let's sing that part again right there. In his arms. Yes, think about it. In his arms. Protected. In his arms. Never disconnected. In his arms. Well, there's no place I'd rather. I'm falling in love. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, does anybody feel him? Oh, yes, I'm falling in love. Falling in love. Oh, yes, falling in love with Jesus. Oh, sing it one more time. Congregation, would you help us sing it? Hallelujah. Falling in love with Jesus. Oh, yes, I'm falling in love with Jesus. Oh, I'm falling in love with Jesus. It's the best place Hallelujah. Let's lift up our hands and thank the Lord for his goodness tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. What a presence of the Lord. What a touch of the Holy Ghost.